Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel, and we have a special guest, Cousin Jenny. That's just what I'm going to call you, Cousin Jenny. Um, Megan is at a conference for a week, and we don't like to skip content. We like to make sure that we're always getting content out there for you guys. So um, I had invited a long time ago, we had talked about you coming on because Cousin Jenny has listened to every episode. She's a Patreon. And she knows about our Grigri. So I'm going to shake. These are the raccoon bones, the raccoon penis bones. Did you know that this is what they looked like, Jenny? did not, no. Mm-mm. So we're going to shake. She's got the sack. I Oh, I also have the new Ula, our Juju guardian, Ula, yes. mm-hmm, that Megan gave me. But now we have another talisman to add to the list. Jenny has made us our very own kangaroo. Yes. This is... Oh, tell us, tell us about this and how it came to fruition. So I started crocheting earlier this summer, and I posted a couple of things. And Charnel said, "Please make me a raccoon <laughs> or a kangaroo." <laughs> yes, and I made a kangaroo. It's so perfect, and I can't believe you just like to be this talented. Oh, I think I'm just gonna teach myself <laughs> how to crochet stuffed animals, y'all. This thing is not small. No, he he, he turned out a lot larger than I thought. He, He's a full-on stuffed it's a nice animal. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's a full-on stuffed animal, and he's got a pouch and everything. And we're gonna keep the we're gonna keep the crystal sack right yep. in his pouch. We have to come up with it. I just feel like his name should be Jason because yeah. all of this started with our Australian kangaroo sack, Jason. There you go. Then we invited Brain Bath. Ja- we have so many Jasons. <laughs> so many Jasons. I. Uh, Megan is Jason just going to be tick uh, Jason Rue. Oh, he's so cute too. You are very, very talented. Thank you. And this just tickles me to have him in studio watching over us now. I think officially I have to get a bigger podcast table. Yeah, you've got a lot for, of talismans. We here. really do <laughs> for all You're of filling this. Up. Uh, which just we're just so loved, and I'm so grateful. So she was cute because she's like. If I make this for you, can I come on the podcast? I'm like, well, you don't have to give us something to come on the podcast, but I would super love it if you would make us. And here I am. And, oh, and it's just, it's so perfect. And it worked out because Megan had to be out this week. So yeah, allow me to regale you with a tale of horror. Yay. <laughs> well, welcome to the studio. Now let me traumatize yeah, you. I was expecting that. Oh, that's true. Um, she was just telling me before we hit the record button, she's like, you know, my retention is so terrible that I could listen to every episode again and it would be like brand new information. So, mm-hmm. so bad. Like, don't worry. Any book I read, yeah. immediately out of my head. I research <laughs> this stuff, then write it, 
and still have a hard time Not retaining sure if you've done it. it. Yeah. Nope. We always have to double check. Megan will text me when she's researching something and she's like, have we done this before? I have to go into our, our audio platform and search up names just to make sure we haven't. Because right. at this point, we've been doing it so long that when things sound familiar, <laughs> it's like, is it because I've heard it before? I've researched it or because we actually covered it on the <laughs> podcast. I never know. Oh, gosh. So let me tell you about the tragic murder of Rita Curran. I don't, have you ever heard of her? Maybe. <laughs> That's true. You have no idea. No clue. It's That's how, be brand bad new my, how bad my retention is. We just talked about how you have no memory. No, nope, yeah. none. Mm-hmm. All right, Cousin Jenny. This one was recently solved after many decades. Ooh, so um, weirdly, though, before it was solved, I read a book, and it's been a while now. It was before I had the podcast, but it's called The Stranger Beside Me by by Anne Rule. It was published August 1st, 1980. Um, but, I, you know, I've always been into true crime, and I had just remembered, you know, reading about it. At some point in time over the last three years, Rita's name has come up, and I've just been slowly, like, piecing together information, and it just kind of got to a point now where it's like, okay, I'm ready to, co- to cover this, but other podcasts have done a good job of it. Murder, She Told podcast did a good covering of it. Um, there's lots of, besides the um, book, there's also just different, like, um, true crime blogs that have covered it, too, so I've included all that into the, re- the resources here, but, yeah, there's... Um, she just keeps popping up, and so it's time It's time that Crime Curious cover Rita as well. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Rita was the oldest of her three siblings. She had Thomas, who was three years younger. Mary was five years younger. She actually went to high school, as did her siblings, at Mount St. Mary's, which was a Catholic school that was run by nuns. And then, and it's like, I mean, this is in the 60s. Yeah. So it is, it's the nuns that we're all picturing, mm-hmm. okay? And her uniform is the uniform that we're all picturing, right? Well, she then went on to Trinity College, which was run by the same group of nuns that ran Mount St. Mary's. Okay. All right. So very close with her um, family. So she went to Mount, to Mount St. Mary's from 1961 to 1965. She was very involved. Uh, Her senior year, she actually was a part of the student council. She was on the yearbook staff. Um, She was class officer. So well-liked and just an all-around really good Catholic girl. Okay. She was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1947. And um, she lived there with her family through the early 50s. But then they moved to Milton, Vermont, which is about 15 miles north of Burlington. So she they went into Burlington for a lot of things. So she was really familiar with that city. But truly, she grew up in Milton. Okay. Okay. It's a lot different than Brooklyn, Vermont, I would, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. 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 I would think so, too. She always lived with her parents, including when she was at Trinity College. Okay, so this is not someone who is used to being out on her own. She had a very close, tight-knit family. And so while she was continuing through school, she lived with with her parents. Um, But she still stayed involved with the community. Her and her mom were actually a part of the Milton Women's Club. Um, I know that she was very um, talented at singing. She was in the choirs. And she also 
taught on the side religion classes at St. Anne's Catholic Church in Milton, which was part of like an alumni association of Trinity College. She was just a little thing, 100 pounds. She had shoulder-length reddish-brown hair, and she was just described as being a very quiet, timid type of woman living her life, okay? And she um, was really well-liked. She actually worked at a, a motel. It was called the Motor Inn for about four years. While she, That's how she kind of got herself through college. Nice. One of her coworkers said, Quote, Rita often referred to herself, at, um, meaning at the inn, like when in terms of how she fit in with her coworkers at the inn, as the ugly duckling and oh. often expressed the hope of being married one day. She told friends that she had attended three weddings just that year and had moved to Burlington because of all the eligible bachelors in <laughs> Milton were taken. All right. So she's trying to move. She wants to, she's ready to move out of, I know, I know. I truly think that she was just so steadfast and focused on her education that it didn't leave a lot of time and and her extracurriculars as well. So it didn't leave a lot of time for her to really get into the dating scene. Plus living at your parents doesn't help that situation. I I would think, yeah, through college. I'm pretty sure that's why my own son was like, Nah, I don't want to go too far away, but I know I don't want to live, live here. Right. <laughs> Love you so much, You're mom. My but style, yeah, mom. I get it, even though I'm super cool. His friends like me. They you listen to the podcast. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> but I do get it. It's <laughs> get it. probably not the same bringing a girl home. No, I would no, imagine. I wouldn't imagine it. So, um, so she decides, you know what? I think it's time. It's time for me to move out. Of, I mean, she's graduated from college at this point. She has, um, she's still working at the Motor Inn. She's got her her teaching that she's teaching religious classes. Still a part of the community and whatnot. And Very busy. She, busy yeah, girl. yep. And Milton's much smaller than Burlington, so it's just kind of like I know everybody, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I want to expand my horizons. But it truly does sound like. Her goal was to be single, ready to mingle, put the feelers out there so yeah. she could start a family of exactly. her own. And the Catholics, they want to get started. It, they, do. they do. They are really good at procreating. Yeah. Very I mean, fertile people. You know, my, <laughs> my family. Our, our great-grandmother, God rest her soul. My. It's my great-grandmother. Yeah, my grandmother. Your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I am a couple of years older than Jenny. But we're about to explain why. Because her grandmother, my great-grandmother, had 18 children. My and dad was the youngest yep. of the 18. Yep. And my grandmother was in the middle yep. of the 18. Yep. So that is that is how Jenny and I are cousins. From a beautiful <laughs> Catholic family Huge that had Catholic family. 18 children. I think we have like 86 first cousins or something. Something like that. Yeah. At one point in time when I met Matt, I did try to do some sort of family tree to make sure we weren't related somehow. I mean, you have to. Yeah. You have to. Even though. big of a family. Yeah. Yes. And how... You know, and how small out. town. Yeah, they are. They they started small, but they spread out. There's okay. Arizona, California, Kentucky, everywhere. But yeah, you have to make sure. You do. Because that you, know, you just don't want. You want to risk that. You don't. No. Mm-mm. I've heard That's some just icky. No. Yep. But my mom does genealogy, and she could tell me exactly how many first cousins I have. And she might listen to this and be like screaming at it. But <laughs> Probably. It's over 80. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a lot. So... So here she is. She was looking through the want ads. All right. And she decided and this that. this is in the 60s? It is, it is in the 70s. Okay. Yes. I apologize because I forgot to put down 
I do get to it. Um, she went to... In 1971. Okay. There you go. I had to scroll down a little bit That's here. Okay. So she's looking through the want ads. It's 1971. And she found a listing on North Winooski Ave for $47 a month. And it read, female roommate wanted includes utilities. It sounded promising. And the location was really good. Her salary at the time was $8,000 a year as a second grade teacher. So she could easily cover the rent. Yeah. I know 1971 money, man. Yeah. Oh. Sounds so wild. It really does. <laughs> she had, um, so plus, because she was a second grade school teacher, um, she also had a summer job in Burlington. That's where she kept her um, motel okay. job that got her through college. Sure. So just wanted to kind of explain that a little bit. So here she is thinking that it's, you know, it's perfect. It's Friday, June 4th, 1971. And so she went ahead and she contacted them the next Saturday. The worked out, the the apartment worked out really well. So she soon moves in. And her year at Milton Elementary School had just ended because it's June. So she was getting started with her summer job in Burlington at the motel. She was 23 years old. Her birthday actually was on June 21st. So it's coming up. And this was her second, the end of her second full year of teaching. So she moved into the apartment and it was just like most apartments at the time in New England. Um, it was a two bedroom apartment with a living room and a kitchen. She shared um, her bedroom with another woman named Beverly, who was almost the exact same age as her. She was born actually June 20th. The same year. That's my daughter's birthday. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here not she 19, is. Yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> not 1970 or 60s. Or, no, 47. That's when she was born. 47. We're throwing yeah. out a lot of oh, numbers man. here. But yeah, so so here she is, which I think is just wild. When, here her roommate, one of one her roommates, because it was a two-bedroom apart. apartment, but she shared a bedroom. Sounds oh, like there were four, four okay. women probably there. Um, And so, the, but the one she shared the room with literally was born one day before her. So that's kind of perfect, yeah. you know, the way that they all, they're young in Burlington. Sounds like a dorm just, room almost. It like does, <laughs> yes. And, and I mean, through college, she lived with her parents, so maybe she could get a little bit of that experience, right? right? Um, so the, the thing is, within a couple of weeks, though, she did mention to her mom that she was looking on, looking in, <laughs> looking into, wow, Charnel, <laughs> find the words, um, she was looking to kind of move out, all right? She did not love that one of the roommates constantly had a boy over. And remember, it's 1971. Yeah. She has lived with her mom this whole time. Times are different. Um, this boy was sometimes sleeping on the couch, maybe not mm-hmm. always sleeping on the couch. She's a good Catholic girl. She yeah. is, yes. And so she ended up spending a lot of her time back in Milton anyway, instead of in this apartment that she was renting for, renting for $47 you get, you get a month. Four girls together in a room. And, right, yeah. exactly. Things it, can get dramatic. I can see how it just really felt very promising. Mm-hmm. But these are different girls from different backgrounds, right? She's never lived anywhere but with her parents. She has a whole new experience. Yes. So on Monday, July 19th, Rita went to work at the Colonial Motel for her regular shift. And at this point in time, she had lived with the girls a little less than a month. She worked from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And that evening, she went to practice at her capella singing group. Yes, the um, they're ca- they were called the 
Chaplin Echoes. Oh my goodness. Seriously. Isn't that the <laughs> cutest so cute. thing? The Echoes. I love it. Oh. And it was that was at a community center in Burlington. Now the practice did go a little bit later than usual. She returned to her apartment around 10 p.m. and her roommate Beverly that she was sharing a bedroom with was home. Rita told her that she was heading to bed. Though Rita was fast asleep by that point, her other roommate's boyfriend called up Beverly and invited her out to the Harbor Hideaway for drinks. So Beverly joins up with the other roommates, Carrie and Paul, leaving Rita peacefully by herself in the apartment sleeping. Between 11.20 p.m. when Beverly left and 12.30 a.m. when the three returned to the apartment, something terrible had happened. 15 are, minutes? We, yes. We are talking, well, oh, 11.20 to 12.30. Oh, okay. So 70 minutes. 70 minutes. Like, what the hell? A man, we're assuming a man for the brute strength here, uh, some sort of predator, maybe I should say it that way, snuck into Rita's apartment, went to her bedroom. When she was in her bed under the covers, he found her, and there were signs that she had tried to fight back, but she's 100 pounds, keep keep in mind. Trigger alert. Rita had been severely beaten, like, to her face and head area, violently raped, and then strangled to death. And without a trace, this intruder just leaves, like, just absolutely slips away into the night after taking her life. Such a small window of time. Such a small window of time, for him right? To know she was alone, right? In a town that's not known for being at this it's like time, a small town, New England town. Yeah, not you know, not like, unsafe. Not like how fucking creepy it's is this? So poor Carrie at twelve thirty a.m. Oh, no. One of the roommates. She was nineteen. Oh no! And her <laughs> boyfriend baby. Paul, who was twenty three. Returned home. Now, Beverly did stay a bit longer at the bar, okay. but returned home shortly. They noticed that Rita's bedroom door was a little bit open, but it didn't really, like, it wasn't know. alarming. No, no, not at all. I wouldn't have probably even noticed door? that. Yep. No, it was closed. The front door was closed. Oh, yes. So here's what's really creepy. They're, they go into the living room area. Oh, they're just they hanging out. They don't go into her bedroom. No. They know she's asleep they have in no there. no idea she's in there. Oh, no. Yes. So at 1.20 a.m., Beverly went to go get something from the bedroom, and that's when she discovers Rita oh, no. lying on her back on the floor directly inside the bedroom door. So if they had just it, peeked in, right, they would have seen, they seen her. Exactly. So... Beverly screams out. Of course, they all come running. They're shocked. She's cold to the touch. They called, um, you know, nine. It's not nine one one at that point in time, but called the fire department and, and first responders. And so, they, the fire department shows up. It's two people from the Burlington Fire Department ambulance crew, David Bean and Stephen Olio. They realize right away that. This is not just someone who has stopped breathing. They're in a crime scene. Yeah. Now, the three roommates at the time, when they called it in, they were calling it in, like, even though she was cold to the touch, it's like the shock had not registered 
or, or that the situation hadn't registered through the shock is maybe right. the better way to say it. They called because for medical assistance. Probably. Yes, yeah. they did. The way that they called it in clearly showed that they didn't realize she was gone and beyond help. But the EMTs from the fire department absolutely do. And they're like, oh, we've got to stop. We are in a crime scene. Um, so they, they rope off the scene, the scene, excuse me, and they start interviewing the roommates, you know, yes, they did. Um, they called in detectives right away. The first, um, police officer on scene that was contacted by the fire department at 129 AM, he, the chief of detectives showed up at 150 AM. So, and by 1215, two other detectives, AM, two other detectives are on scene. So this very quickly, okay, this is all happening very quickly. And I include that because we see a lot of situations where maybe that doesn't happen. And I like to give credit where credit is is due. I do remember that in some cases, Mm -hmm. (laughs) some things I don't remember, but. But that is one of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Two doctors from the medical examiner's office and the county's DA, the district attorney show up. Oh, the DA went to the crime scene. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do. You will hear Megan say that from time to time. Um, they they do. So we've got a, a big clan working on this, okay? The police made some observations about how Rita was found. She was face up, lying on her back with both arms outstretched, and her legs were spread apart, and her head was tilted to the left. The front of her body was nude. She was wearing a red and white polka dot house coat that had been ripped down the front popping off several of its buttons, which were later put into evidence. Um, under the house coat, she had a aqua blue silk nightgown with lace trim, and it was also ripped down the front. The lower part of her night- nightgown was found in the doorway of the closet, and a white bed sheet, a tan afghan, and a floral bedspread were entangled around her left leg and continued underneath, like underneath her. She was on top of them. A pair of pink silk panties were ripped from both legs and found underneath her left leg. Her hair had been in curlers. Mm. I, right, 1971, yeah. she was sleeping, sleeping in, yep, mm-hmm. in curlers. They were ripped from her head and strewn about the room. There was blood splatter on the walls and smears um, of blood all around her body on the floor. Her face, especially her forehead and upper cheek, had been severely beaten. The left side of her face was especially swollen. Both eyes were black and blue, and there were cuts and scrapes all over her face. Um, She had dried blood on her lips and teeth. Bruises were visible uh, on her right leg just above the knee, and her left hand had hair in it, which was taken as evidence. You know, they're thinking probably belonging to the perpetrator in self-defense. Because she had auburn hair. Mm -hmm. She did. Um. Her purse, which had $20 cash in it in personal papers like her driver's license and things like that, were on the floor directly behind her. So this was not a robbery. There was a lace curtain that was ripped down on the west side of the room. Her car, which was parked out front of the apartment building, was left there and had not been touched. So I think that's pretty obvious that yeah. this was a sex crime, sex, sex motivation crime. Yep. The medical examiner um, wanted to roll her body to the side to examine her back, and when they did that, they discovered that there was a cigarette butt <gasps> under her right arm. It had been crushed and, like, smoothed out, and it had burned out at the scene. Did she smoke? No. 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 
No, I didn't know. So, she did not. Catholics smoke. <laughs> they do. They absolutely do. But she did not. Its ashes rested on the floor under her arm as well. The paper on the tobacco side of the filter was jagged, suggesting that it had gone out on its own after smoldering for some time. The brand of the cigarette was a Lark, which was unusual. This is the second time recently that yeah, we have I've had cigarettes come up. Yep. Yes. It had a unique style of filter, and it contained, like, uh, small charcoal bits, hmm. which doesn't sound comfortable to smoke at all. No. But okay. It made it distinctive, right? Okay, so sure. cool, cool, cool. It was a popular brand in Japan, but it really didn't take off in the U.S., it started in 1963, so it had only been around for about oh, eight years new. at this yeah. point in time. And there was no visible bruising on her backs or anything like that, so it really suggests to them that she was disrupted from her bed. She tried to get, you know, out. She was either carried, thrown, whatever, onto her floor or well, tried to flee. She was tangled in her sheets, She was too, tangled yeah. in her sheets. Yep, exactly. Um so they document everything that they can at approximately 4.45 a.m. The undertaker comes and takes her body to the morgue. Um, they took, I was really impressed for 1971, the amount of evidence they took, because they even took like paint chips from, oh, really? yeah, from the door jam. Like they were trying really hard to get DNA, fingerprints, all those kinds of things. Oh, um, actually, a fingerprint expert was called in to examine the crime scene. Even, oh. which is amazing, right? Wow. Yeah. But he, he, he or she, because I did not make note of that person's name. They didn't find anything unusual right. I mean, there. you got four people And in the person probably and wore gloves, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so, there were two entries into this particular um, apartment unit. The front door, which was opened directly into the living room, and the back door, which opened into the kitchen, okay? Mm-hmm. On the exterior side of the back door that opened into the kitchen, there was a small blood stain, stain which suggested that the attacker may have left that way. Mm-hmm. All windows and doors to both the first floor and the um, cellar were examined, and none of them were disturbed. The only viable entries and exits were the front and back doors, Neither of which showed signs of forced entry. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question? Yes. The um, apartment itself, was mm-hmm. it in an apartment building where there were other neighbors close by? Or it, was it a, a it home sounded, that was running out, like a duplex? I mean, It sounded more to me like a duplex. Okay. Where it is, or like a condo type situation right. where they have, yeah, not an actual apartment like building. Like sharing walls building. Maybe Yeah. Too. Okay. I just yep. didn't know because that would... It would be loud. Right, 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 right. right. Detectives asked the roommates if their doors typically remained locked, and they explained that just one key, excuse me, that there was just one key that all of them shared, and that the policy of the house was to not lock the doors. So when they went to the bar, they left the doors unlocked, and so obviously it would make it very easy for someone to not have to have forced entry. Yep, they could just turn the doorknob, and there they go. On the side of the house, there was a there was a driveway that was partly like sanded, and there was a rainstorm rainstorm the previous night, and it appeared oh my god, Charnel, and it appeared that there was no new prints in the sand since the storm. So the backyard actually had long grass, and when I say long, it was documented as twelve to fourteen inches tall. Oh, that's long. That's pretty long. You need mow. Yeah, you need mow. You need to get out there. Yeah, that and the the grass was actually still wet too. 
So detectives had no way of like trying to trace where right. this perpetrator could have went because you need to mow your lawn, girls. Yes. No, it's, that's out of control. It is. It is. My husband would cringe. Yeah. He is very meticulous about his lawn. Yeah, mine yeah. too. The roommates all agreed to go down to the station and provide detailed statements of what they remember. Paul had been staying at the girl's apartment. He was, quote, a 23-year-old mechanic fresh out of college. Now, Paul, sleeping on the couch and constantly staying there is part of the reason why Rita felt uncomfortable and wanted to move out, was looking to move out. Did she ever voice that to them? I you know d- I'm not or is sure. She just talking to her mom, like I might. Yeah, move out. like I might yeah. move out because there's this guy. She probably that's didn't here want all the attention time. either. Right, kind of yep. quietly move out. But he he was not one of the renters. He just just slept there. Okay, mm-hmm. they provided a detailed account of the order of events from the evening. So they said Paul picked up Carrie from her work at 7:30 p.m. and then they just kind of drove around a little bit. Your guess is as good as mine as to what they were doing. They returned to the apartment and then left again around 8.50 for a restaurant. And at this point, Beverly's home, but not Rita at 8.50. Because remember, Rita was at choir choir concert. Yep, her acapella group until 10. Paul placed a call to the apartment around 11.15 and invited Beverly out at that point in time. So she's like, yeah, I'd love to meet you there. So she heads out at 11.20. And then at 12.30 a.m., Paul and Carrie get back home. And then Beverly comes just a short while later. And Paul later says, quote, we were gone maybe two or three hours. We had asked Rita to join us that night, but she said no, end quote. So they really weren't gone two to three hours. No, they weren't. But it's possible that he was drinking and just, you know, time spins differently when you are. Paul and Carrie were gone longer because Beverly. They were. That's true. Paul and Carrie, good catch. Paul and Carrie were gone from 8.50 they p.m. They went to dinner. They, yep, they yep. went to a restaurant. Then they called the apartment at 11.15 right. and invited Beverly. Beverly wasn't gone yep. very long, but they were. No, they Beverly was the one that wasn't gone. Right. Thank you. Um, so this would not been a planned um, situation ahead of time. These were spontaneous events, you right. know, that just kind of like, hey, and would you like to go? And they all three have an alibi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so of course, as you would expect, the roommates were asked if they smoked, mm-hmm. right? Neither Rita nor Beverly smoked, but Paul and Carrie did. They, they smoked Virginia Slims. So none of them smoked the Lark cigarettes. Okay. That takes me back. Yeah. Yeah. The old Virginia <laughs> Slims. One of the officers kept guard at the house, not allowing anyone into the crime scene without permission from the chief of or the DA. Um, and he stayed there till 7 a.m. And he was asked to start canvassing the area. So he started by checking the other units in the apartment house. As it, So it does, the way that it's kind of been described in several different articles to me sounded like it was more of a condo type, right. you know, where you have a first floor entrance. Split up the, yeah. yeah. On the third floor, he spoke to the tenants who were husband and wife, both of whom said that they were awake and home around the time of the attack, but they didn't hear anything. I know. I know, but I don't. With is what I'm thinking as graphic as this is, I'm wondering if there wasn't a ton of noise given the blunt force trauma to her head. Kind of incapacitated her. Yeah. 
if one yeah. of those was the first one of the first blows or contact but also then just think about the choking she died of strangulation okay. so how long did he have her neck in his hands right. or she we're just being presumptuous right. here no no spoiler alerts <laughs> um <laughs> i'm terrible at this um so have you ever done this before? Never. <laughs> not in not for every Sunday for the last three years. No, nope, <laughs> sure haven't. Sometimes Tuesdays, Wednesdays, yeah. and Saturdays. You know, no, know. no, nope, haven't haven't done First this. Timer. Sure am. Bear with me, guys. <laughs> I'll get better, I promise. But yeah, I had wondered, you know, how much pressure was on her neck that entire time and preventing her from screaming Making out for nice. help, too. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So in the morning. As they are, officers traveled to Milton and knocked on the door of Rita's family and broke the news to her parents. Um, Mary, her little sister Mary, would later recall in an interview that she remembered the shock that she felt in the moment of being told that the autopsy had already been completed. I mean, they didn't even get to see her. Right. I just imagine the trauma on top of trauma here. It's terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. And a part of that reasoning is because they are trying to catch the killer. And so I understand time is of the essence and they're trying to move quickly and she was an adult and all of those things. Exactly, but yes. Oh, that's hard for the family. And the family, mm-hmm. it would be very difficult yes. to hear that. It's just, yep. it's, you don't think about the procedures no. in that moment. You think about the no. personal, emotional Right, things. like where is she? Wh- yeah. Can I see her? I see her. Because you no. don't want to believe it until you see right. her. Yeah. Yep. At 11 a.m., within 12 hours of the time that she was killed, Patrick Leahy and other Burlington authorities held a press conference. He described the crime as one of the most brutal that he had ever seen. He said that though the police were working on a number of leads, no immediate arrests were planned, and he asked the public for help. So the early part of the investigation were relying on public tips, which always sucks, right? Right. They also, though, they questioned all of Rita's friends, um... And a young man who had said he had dated Rita on occasion, but Rita's roommates did not know Rita very well, nor had they seen a, a guy with her. I mean, they they lived together like three weeks, yeah, you know, and so they there was only so much that they could tell him or tell detectives besides like she's a teacher in Milton. She works at a hotel. Yeah, <laughs> and in the summer she's like she's, she's a teacher but group. she's right. <laughs> like she does all this stuff For that sure. she can meet people but she they never met any of them, right? Yeah. They did not have any idea of who would have a motive for killing her exactly. or or why or you know anything like that. And they're still in shock. I mean, and think about it from their perspective too like you don't know this girl very well. She moves into your place that you've been at for a while, and now she's dead. Like, that's that's scary in so a brutal scary. manner. Yeah. yeah. In your home. Like, you think about home invasion type things. And anybody that breaks in. Right. And then you just feel so violated by that alone. I remember reading a quote from Beverly where, like, some reporters had contacted her, and she was basically like, I'm moving out. Because I don't blame her. I would want to move out too. Right. I would, I would if, feel safe. If someone could find her, they could certainly find me. Right. So They've I'm been out here, here before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was also an unidentified person that's never mentioned, but that had been, I don't know, suspicious enough in during detective interviews or had just given them enough cause for concern that they asked him to take a lie detector test okay. and they did. 
um, and they passed. We don't know who that mm-hmm. is or how no. they know. No, Rita. which I mean, if it never really came to fruition, okay. I'd want to keep my identity secret yes, too. Absolutely. Um, and so <laughs> they're questioning Rita's parents, and they're like, "Listen, she's so quiet." This was the actual quote. Rita's parents gave them a picture of a quiet, almost painfully shy young woman. She knew a lot of people and we're talking to as and the police are talking to as many as they can in hopes of coming up with something, but they really didn't have a lot to go on because just because she knew a lot of people doesn't mean she she's so shy and quiet and she's a teach an elementary teacher right. you guys like yeah. she, she's the stereotype of an elementary <laughs> teacher you try to find a motive for why someone would no. want to kill her no. it doesn't exist no, it doesn't so trying to find that is impossible right. right around this time there were other assaults that had been reported at the university of vermont and other women in burlington the past, like during the past winter that they had just had. Okay. So the winter of 1970, 1971. And so um, they were really trying to figure out, is there some sort of connection? And they also, of course, were going to all of the male known perpetrators, especially of sex crimes okay. yeah. in the area as well. Um, there was also... A July 11th crime just a week prior to Rita's death where a woman had been violently raped and murdered as well. Wow. Yeah. In the same town. Yes. Wow. In Burlington. Yep. So now they're kind of, they're also just kind of considering maybe this wasn't an isolated incident. Right. They've got a lot going on yes. in this investigation. It seems like they are putting their all into the investigation. Though. I mean, they're yes. looking at connections to her, motives yep. against her, anything that could happen, and then... Yep. Also, and I apologize because I said July 11th and I actually meant June 11th. Okay. My bad. I, I just realized I just caught my, my error, but yes. And I appreciated that. Like it's good to cover cases where there's actual police work. Yeah, <laughs> It nice. gives us more information too. <laughs> so like much because more. there's police work, then we can look at court records and we can actually follow right. the investigation. Um, Three days after Rita's body was found, Rita's parents held a visitation. Um, her funeral services were held at St. Anne's Church where they had attended and taught classes. 400 people came. Wow. Not and surprised. I just wanted to add that. Wow. Like 400 people came. I can't imagine having to plan a funeral or visitation or any sort of memorial. No. For a child that's been murdered three it, days ago. Yes. At, at the Any age time of ever, 23. but still. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So residents of the Burlington area becoming very nervous. People are leaving their lights on at night. Um, they are doing things that they never felt like they needed to do before. About a month after her murder, there were reports that said things in favor of the police. Like, you know, we are going to trust that her murder is not going to go on to like one of our long lists of Vermont's unsolved mysteries, mm. right? Like we, we're just really hopeful that this one can be solved. In the late summer and early fall of 1971, things don't get better in Burlington, especially for women. So at, right after Rita's murder in September, there's a stream of unrelated violent attacks 
So on September 7th, there was a woman who was abducted off the street and thrown into a car by several men, not just one. And she actually threw herself out of a window at a stoplight. That's how she saved herself. Two days later, there were two separate attacks on the street. One attempted an abduction and the other an assault that was described as like a karate attack. What is going on? I don't know because this isn't typical for Burlington of the time. Just sudden crime wave. Right. September 13, a woman awoke to a man standing over her while she was sleeping. No. The most terrifying. Uh. Give me Satan himself. Before yes. you just give me just a man standing oh over gosh. me. It's like the nightmare everybody it has. It's it is. terrible. Yep. He had broken through a sliding glass door and, um, and, and gotten in. A week later, another woman who was a student lived a few blocks away from Rita, woke up around 3 a.m. to a man sitting on top of her attempting <sighs> to sexually assault her. But she screamed so loud that her roommates came and scared him off. I would bust my vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would. <laughs> <laughs> and then over the following months, several more midnight break-ins and attempts on and, uh, and assaults occurred. But they're thinking these aren't related. They're trying to figure out if they are. Okay, okay? they're not ruling that out. Right, because but they're just like, like, what? Like, it's so willy-nilly. Some of them are in the middle of the night. Others are just on the, on street, the street. Just taking Abducting. People. Yep. So police had been on the look, lookout for a nighttime prowler who'd been spotted lurking in backyards near Brooks Avenue. And they're thinking perhaps this could lead them to not only Rita's killer, but the other murders and attacks that have taken place. Back in July, they'd actually received several calls about this particular suspicious man and including on the night of Rita's murder. Oh. Um Uh, There was a large man who had attempted to break into a home where several women lived, just like Rita had, and but they he didn't get in, but they did call and report that. Okay, so we have all of that happening as well. Same night. Mm -hmm. It was on the same night as Rita's murder. They did at one point in December of 1971 offer up a three thousand dollar reward. That's quite a lot. In 1971, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter. The case gold goes cold. And they just don't have enough evidence, you know? What physical evidence do they have? They have the cigarette butt. They have have the hair. Was there semen? And yes. Okay. I mean, that's... But that's that all. Be that's so all. But it's nineteen seventy-one. Oh, man. Yep, and that's all what we We need have. a DeLorean. We do. This. We do. So between... 1973 and 1980, the Burlington Free Press published only two articles about Rita's case. One was on the eight-year anniversary in 1979, which did release some new details. It said that police had zeroed in on four suspects and gave an update on their current whereabouts. One had died of a drug overdose, another had been killed in a highway accident, and then two had been convicted on other murder charges in cases unrelated to Rita's and were in prison. Rita's mother believed that there had been some kind of cover-up, okay, in this this case, because she said, we felt a lot more could have been done, but wasn't for political reasons. I haven't forgot it. I don't think it should be let lie. Nothing will ever bring her back, but we'd like to see justice done. Because there was, um, one of the detectives went on to be one of the youngest U.S. senators in the country, and it, it essentially just kind of this this political stir came about of like was there a cover up so that this person didn't have 
like this. bad blood on yeah. his hands, okay. essentially. Okay. I can see that as a parent mm-hmm. wanting, yeah. you better not sleep. No, every, right. Don't everything, eat. No. everything that you have should be into this, but that's not reality. This is my baby. That's yep. my baby. Yeah. So I understand. And then it's like you used my, you know, the cases like this to propel your career. Career. Yeah. And I get yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with it. In I know. Situation. It's right. just, I get it as a parent. That's exactly how I would be. For there sure. I take no prisoners. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nope. Let me tell you about one of the other theories. The Ted Bundy theory. Oh, boy. I didn't see that coming. Well, in 1984, Rita's family learned of an alarming coincidence connecting Rita's death to one of America's most infamous serial killers. Now, I know y'all know who Ted Bundy is. I didn't forget that one. No, no. That's that's one. We actually haven't covered him on the podcast because he's been so heavily so covered heavily. everywhere else that yes. I don't feel like it's necessary. But he was a killer and sexual predator in the 1970s, and he targeted young young women in multiple states, including Washington, Utah, Oregon, Colorado, and more. So he wasn't linked to additional murders across the country. He was only convicted of three counts of murder and given the death penalty in Florida and then was executed in 1989, right? But that doesn't mean that he didn't. This right, is exactly. just what we have found, found. that we convicted of him, exactly. him of, right? He confessed to killing 30 women, but we don't actually know how many he has. And I wonder if him himself, if he really even, even knew, right? He's a sociopath. Right. He was known for taking advantage of unsuspecting kind women. Oh, was it right? his MO for the beating like that? Well, I don't. In Anne Rule's book, she did describe Bundy as a sadistic sociopath who took pleasure from another human's pain and the control that he had over his victims. And she wrote in um, The Stranger Beside Me kind of this this connection to Vermont. So Ted was born in Burlington in oh. 1946. Wild. I didn't know that. Yeah. At the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers. At the time of Rita's death, he would have been 24 years old. The Elizabeth Lund Home was in South Burlington, a half a mile away from the Colonial Motor Inn where Rita was working at the time of her murder. Ted didn't know who his father was. He grew up with an older sister that he had discovered was actually his mother. Mm-hmm. And Anne Rule wrote that learning about his birth history gave him a deep emotional trauma. And she speculated that it was possible he may have taken the anger out on an innocent victim. And Rita did bear a striking resemblance to his later victims. So, okay. okay. That's a theory. That's a theory. And I just wanted you to know what's going on in this. Yep. His first recorded murder occurred in 1974, but he confessed to crimes as early as 1969. He started young. He did. He did. And I thought, I did think it was pretty fascinating of the birthplace connection. That's, yeah. And when you think about her working in a hotel, it is possible that he met her. Yeah, because you see people come in and out. He didn't live there, so he would have needed a room if he was going to visit. Yep, exactly. Um, so Mary, her sister, Mary actually sent a telegram with details from Rita's case to Ted Bundy in the Florida prison, asking if he was involved. She later told the press, I don't really expect to hear anything, but I guess I needed to do it. And he never responded. 45 minutes before his execution on the morning of January 24th, 1989 at 615 a.m., Florida State Prison Warden asked Bundy if he was involved in a couple of other unsolved cases before asking about Rita Coran. He said, how about Burlington, Vermont? No, 
Bundy said. Nothing there? No, Bundy repeated. He had nothing to lose at that point, but he, he also is a sociopath. Nope. I would take it just to punish people. Just but to I do love that people. they asked him. I do too. I, I like I'm glad that, they did that. Yep. Yep. But nothing came of it, but still. No. In 1991, Rita's father, Thomas Cran, died at the age of 68 after a long battle with cancer. He had fought in World War II and had a, um, a 21-year career at IBM. He was buried in the family plot with Rita. So he passed away before... Yes, before what happened to her. Yes. 11 years later in 2002, Rita's mother, Mary Cran. Um, and you know what? I apologize because so her younger sister's name was also Mary. And in those quotes, when I kept saying Mary, I kept saying little sister. Mm-hmm. I didn't make note if it was little sister or mom. Oh, so I okay, apologize about that. They're Got both it. named Mary. And I should have recognized that and I usually put little parentheses mm-hmm. if it, if that's that situation and I didn't in this case um I do know that her mom and dad were very vocal with the press but so was so little sister, sister. Mm-hmm. so it, it could have come from either one of those but I just wanted to apologize because I'm relative. unsure mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly things. yep and so Mary Cran passed away in 2002 um she had Lou Gehrig's disease and she oh. died at the age of 83 as a beloved member of Mil- the Milton community. She was also buried with her late husband mm-hmm. and with Rita. Now, let's jump to 2014, when there is a major break in the case. When Burlington police detective Jeff Beerworth. It's okay. a great last that. name. Love it. Great Sounds last name. Up. It does. <laughs> but also, congratulations for making no up an kidding. awesome last awesome. name. My name is Beerworth. Beerworth. Just call me Mr. Beerworth. He was working the case, and he sent some of the physical evidence from their archives to the New York City office of the chief medical examiner for DNA testing. He sent the Lark cigarette butt, fingernail scrapings, eight vaginal slides. So they entered it into, it took them about a month to process it. They enter it into CODIS. And at this point in time, there's no matches. So CODIS just has it as male DNA. Yep. But it's been collected from other crimes? It has, no. They've just, essentially CODIS has now created a profile for this particular strand of DNA. And it was the cigarette butt DNA that was the most viable. Okay. I thought you meant that they matched it to someone. They did not. Okay. Not yet. No. Over the following eight years, they ran this DNA profile against all their potential suspects, including Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, I don't know why I had an accent there, (laughs) Um, by either direct comparison or through the familial comparison. All 13 men on their list initially were ruled out. Oh, wow. On the investigation list. So it wasn't Mr. Bundy. It was not Mr. Bundy, nor was it any of the other perpetrators from Burlington that they had caught in other similar crimes or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So for, to be thorough, I love this, they did run Paul, the roommate. Good. Yep, well, the, the roommate, non-roommate, right. the couch the, loafer. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. And several of the first responders, which I found fascinating. Wow. Right? Really? Yes. Good. No matches. Okay. But still, I was like, dang. <laughs> they were doing it, though. Yes. Yep. I mean, it's good. It's just, they need some answers here. So July 19th, 2016, the anniversary of her death, her brother and sister published a uh, like a in memory in the Burlington Free Press, and it said, "We will never forget you. We will never give up hope that we will someday know why you were taken from us on this day in Burlington 45 years ago." 
And it was signed, your sister, brother, and families. So 45 years. 45 years. Can you just comprehend that? So terrible. Time goes on, and there's no DNA matches from CODIS, okay? They did it's do... wild because of the, the uh, audacity of the crime itself. Right? You think that... Like, how? how? Leaving samples, leaving hair, leaving cigarette butts. You'd think that you would have made other errors. Yep, yep. You, you would think so. So, at this point in time, I did read some articles that essentially pointed to at 50 years is kind of when the family is like, this is never going to be solved. We had such hopeful DNA evidence from the crime scene, and it's just not working out. Yeah, it would be hard to think otherwise. So let me take you to Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. Oh. This year. Wow. Jenny, this year. Oh, my goodness. The Burlington PD break the news that they had solved the case. They released an investigative report that helped walk everybody through what led to their conclusion. Oh, my goodness. In early 2022, the Burlington PD went through all of the physical evidence in the case, and they put it into two categories, essentially. So group one was items that were likely to have Rita's, or excuse me, the perpetrator's DNA. And group two was kind of like, this DNA is less likely to be the perpetrator's, more likely to be Rita's and her roommates, okay? Okay. Now, this was a very costly endeavor, but so they really wanted to choose which items that they picked wisely, all right? Around this same time, the Burlington PD got a grant from a philanthropic organization called Season of Justice to help with the cost of testing. That's great. Yes. Group one included I included included these items, y'all. The house coat that Rita was wearing, a portion of her nightgown, a bloody piece of the linoleum bedroom flooring, two um, her panties, two blue cloth drawstrings from the house coat, and a bloody chip of wood that was taken from the door. Um, yes. Now group two included the hair curlers, bedding, and some of the other items. So what they did is they took group one and they sent it in 2022 to give, um, to test more samples against more like a profile to kind of set up a profile for Rita and for the, um, to kind of connect, connect with that Lark cigarette butt, the profile in CODIS that they they had already had. Mm -hmm. The bloody piece of linoleum floor matched Rita's DNA. So they did the bloody wood chips from the door. And those were not a match. Okay. So they're helping I'll kind of eliminate that that part. There was a small piece of the torn panties that were selected for analysis. A mixture of three different DNA contributors were identified. Three. Yep. One of them was Rita's. The other, the other matched the DNA profile from the Lark cigarette butt. Okay. So that's okay. the suspect, essentially. Yes. And... Just so you guys know, the odds that it came from from the suspect were 61 times more likely than someone selected at random. Okay. The lab translated this to mean that it provided support to the theory that the DNA on the panties matched the DNA from the cigarette butt. The same undertaking, the same like analysis was done on the house coat, and there was a mixture of four different DNA contributors identified, one of which was Rita. The others matched that of what we would consider the suspect. And 
than the other two. You got to remember, like, there's other people living in the home, right? Sure. They might have touched her laundry, that kind of thing. Just taken out of the dryer and mm-hmm. put it in a laundry basket could have transferred something. Yep, exactly. So what they're doing in uh, essentially, y'all, is they're taking that cigarette butt and they are figuring out. They're able to match all these other items from the crime scene to this suspect's okay. DNA. Because the cigarette butt itself doesn't mean they perpetrated that the it crime. was the perpetrator. Right. right. So exactly. Tie it to other pieces of evidence and Yep. Which is gotcha. exactly what they're doing. That DNA also happens to be and we know it's not Rita's and yeah. it also happens to be on her panties, right. on her house coat. Explain that. Sir. On the door frame. <laughs> right? The blood on the door mm-hmm. frame. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. In the summer of two thousand and twenty two, they sent the cigarette butt to a lab in Reston, Virginia, where a woman named Cece Moore works. They extracted a full DNA profile from the butt, and they entered the information into the GED match and family tree DNA to ancestry sites where where when you give your DNA to those ancestry sites, you can also give permission to law enforcement to use your DNA to help solve crimes. Huge tool. Yep. And so... All of a sudden, Miss Cece Moore, who works at these labs, gets a video call from the Burlington PD to say, we have a match, a high confidence match. And not only that, but one of the names er, but that, that this match is, is one of the names on the list of suspect suspects that they hadn't fully eliminated yet. Okay. So they were on the radar. They were on the radar, but just not not eliminated totally. Okay. okay. So what they did is the five nearest relatives in the database had narrowed it down to a single person, okay. um, Cece Moore and her team, and his name was William D. Ruse. So Cece had her team construct family trees for William that went back five generations before him to relatives born in the 1700s. Oh. And built it right back down to find second, third, and fourth cousins of Williams who had submitted their DNA to the databases. Cece identified a living half-brother of William named Douglas. So the Burlington PD, they they contact him. They ask him for a DNA sample. He's cooperative. He provided it to the police. And again, it was a match to William DeRuz. So now we've got this evidence, right? We have the DNA on the panties, matching the DNA on the house coat, matching the DNA on the cigarette butt, and it all belonged to William D. Roos, who is is a relative of Sounds this like man who willingly gave me. away his exactly. things. Yep. Yes. So let me tell you about William D. Roos. Okay. <sighs> he was born December fourteenth, nineteen thirty nine, in Chicago, Illinois. His mother Lois died two months later at twenty seven uh, years old. He was sad. her only child. His father, William Sr., remarried five years later, and they had a child together in 1947. That's his half-brother. So that's his half-brother. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. His parents divorced shortly after his brother was born, and his father married again in 1948 when William was nine years old to a young Japanese woman named Nobuko. The Japanese cigarettes. The Japanese cigarettes. William Sr. Sr. was 35 years old, and... Nobuko was 21, and they had a child together. So go to 1970, William Jr. is 31 years old at the time, living in San Francisco. Yeah, that's what I said, San Francisco. He went by Bill. He was actually practicing Buddhism at the Zen Center. Isn't that like the... Yes, 
Like peaceful. Meditation. So peaceful. And, so peaceful. Oh, and, and do no harm to violent. humans. Yes. Not yeah, exactly. Oh boy. He also and also this Zen center was an American outpost of Japanese Buddhism called Soto Zen, a very popular religion in Japan. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So William meets Michelle, who was twenty three years old. And she also was into the Buddhist scene. She described him as a great storyteller with greenish colored eyes. She said he was tall and recalled that he was missing a portion of his left pinky finger. She said she didn't think that he did any drugs or alcohol and he was a very serious Buddhist. But he had confessed to her that he had been to prison twice in California, which included a two to three year stint for armed robbery. The two dated a while. Michelle broke up with William when, um, and moved back with her family in Burlington, Vermont. Oh, in the say. spring of 1971. <sighs> okay. Michelle said that her father was the plant manager at IBM, the same place where Rita's father worked. William followed her, moving to Burlington unexpectedly. Michelle's parents met him. They weren't thrilled about the two dating. Right. Well, I mean, he chased her across the country. He did, so. and he did convince her to get back together with him. Okay. And Michelle's parents, not real happy about this. 23, 31-year-old, mm -hmm. follows yep. you across the country. You think it's romantic. Right. It's but your parents are like, this is creepy. And girl. Yeah. It's not. And he's 32 at the time. Okay. In June of 1971, Michelle's parents actually moved to Canada. And so her and, and William... I guess in Burlington he goes by William because okay. in California he, he Bill went by in Bill. California. Mm -hmm. okay. They move in together in an apartment in an apartment in Burlington, the same apartment house that Rita would later <sighs> occupy. William and Michelle's address was 15 Brooks Ave. Rita's was 17 Brooks oh Ave. Goodness. They were different addresses. They were different units, but they were in the same building. Rita was on the first floor. They were on the third floor. This is the couple from the third floor. <gasps> Charnel. I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. I she know. said they were up. They okay. were up. I'll wait. They were up, but oh. they heard nothing. Yeah. Well, William told her of his dream of opening a barbershop in Burlington, having kids together, raising a family, the whole song and dance. She's like, yeah, 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 this sounds great. Let's do it. So they get married on July 5th, 1971 in a, a very sudden ceremony. Their apartment was a studio apartment. It had like the, the tall ceiling, all that stuff. Um, it, it was also reported that um, William worked at a farm like 15 miles away. Okay. okay. He really wanted to impregnate Michelle. Mm -hmm. Like he was, sure. he was very. Um, Get this family started. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he actually um, had, this is weird. This is weird. It gives us some insight. He was so hell-bent on impregnating her and so excited about the occasion that he took her diaphragm, which, you know, yes. is, a, mm -hmm. is a female contraceptive device, and he nailed it above the front door. What? I, symbolism. I'm not sure. I'm ah, not sure. What the hell? Yep. <laughs> the weirdest <laughs> thing. <laughs> I would think. Oh, wow. He was said to have and kept she's to just himself. Like this, let's make that's, a baby. That right. Like, oh, that's on. cute. Wow. That's, a ch that's a charming decoration. Yeah. Again, romantic gestures, ladies. 
not nailing your diaphragm to the door saying, I'm going to impregnate you no. with my seed. Yeah, no, that's not it's doing too, it. It's too much masculine energy for me, <laughs> Way too much. In, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, oh, sorry to so they really didn't get to know their neighbors or spend a lot of time with their neighbors. Um, Michelle was kind of the social butterfly. He sure. was described as keeping to himself, essentially. On the night that Rita was killed, Michelle and, and William, good old Billy Bob. Yeah, Billy Bob. Had a fight. He told his wife that he was going for a walk to cool down. And during his walk is when he literally just walked right into Rita's apartment. Two doors down. And decided to beat her to death and rape her. I, I shouldn't say two doors down. Two floors Two down. floors down. Two floors sure. down. And literally beat, raped, and strangled her. And then just like went back to his wife. Like, oh, I feel better she now. Gave, they were home. So mm-hmm. she was covering for him. He was, uh, well, and here's, um, here's the thing. They believe that he probably knew based on the vehicles that Rita was home alone. Yeah. Because only her vehicle was in the car. The other two roommates' vehicles were gone. Because gone. they had left at separate times. Yep. Because he's only one man. Right. Exactly. Know? Exactly. And he knew probably that Paul stayed a lot of the time if he mm-hmm. was in and out. But wow. So and they, they think that he had quietly um, made his way to Rita's bedroom, attacked her, killed her. And then took a moment to pull out the Lark cigarette, smoke half of it in her bedroom, and flicked it at her body, where it quiet, quietly smoldered until it extinguished itself under her arm. So. That's degrading, too. I mean, you already mm-hmm. raped and murdered her. Mm-hmm. You had to flick your cigarette on her, you jackass. As part of the initial canvas of the area at some 7 a.m., the morning of Rita's murder, Burlington police officer Richard Garrow went upstairs and talked to the third floor neighbors, as we talked about already. He spoke to both of them, and they vouched for one another, Mm. saying that they had been home all night. Michelle even said that she had been awake around the time of the murder, but had heard no unusual noises. Didn't mention that your husband wasn't in the house Mm -hmm. at the time. Right. Another detective, (laughs) the names in this case, (laughs) Detective Winterbottom. Oh, my gosh. I mean, where does this stuff come from? He also um, canvassed the third floor, knocking on the doors, interviewing um, neighbors. But he spoke to Michelle only, and she did reiterate that she didn't hear or see a thing. So then another detective, uh, Bruce Lahue, spoke to them. And again, he spoke only to Michelle, who said that she heard and saw nothing and that that's and neither did her husband. In a recent 2023 interview with police, Michelle admitted that she had lied. She said William had asked her to lie because he convinced her that he had nothing to do with it and that he would likely become the cop's scapegoat for the murder because of his prior criminal history. Sure. You have nothing to do with it. You have nothing to worry about. Right? Exactly. They could easily have ruled you out. Yep. She believed him and the cops believed her. Ladies, there's no man worth that. Mm -mm, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. She says... That she remembers sleeping in the same bed as him that night. She couldn't recall if they'd had sex or not, but she didn't remember any wounds or scrapes on his body or anything out of the ordinary with his demeanor. She said that he smoked cigarettes. She didn't. And she couldn't recall what brand he smoked. Um, the Lark cigarettes, she's like, that, that didn't mean anything really? to her. 
I guess. But I at mean, this point in time, strange, she's right? not a credible witness. No. For me, I she's am a just liar. like, right, exactly. Um, Doesn't really matter what she says anyway. They have his DNA. They do. <laughs> so. um, she said that the thought had crossed her mind that he could have committed the murder, but said that it wasn't inconceivable because he would have no reason to have done so, having never met Rita or even set foot in her apartment. But she admitted that she never asked him directly if he had committed the murder. She said that if she had seen anything indicated indicating that he was involved, she would have quietly gone to the police. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. it. No. I just... Also, if you can conceive of your significant other raping and murdering yeah. somebody, that it could cross your mind as a possibility. You go. You, pu- you quietly go to the police. Go. Right. Screaming to say. the police. I don't care if you're quiet or not. But that... I couldn't imagine my husband doing that. It would never even cross my mind. So... No. There would be no question no, for me. So no. the fact that you were questioning it, I and, think is exactly, that's exactly why she never directly asked him. Because she, she was scared know. of the answer. Yeah, she didn't want to know. And she felt if she had the answer, then she would know no, and she would be in this moral dilemma. But I'm going to argue you were already in that moral yes. dilemma when he asked you to lie, and you did. Right. And be, you didn't think about her family and her loved ones. And it ones went and unsolved for 50, 50. years. You had oh to have gosh. known that whole time. In all likelihood, right. it because was Because they him. ruled everyone else out. Yep, yep, exactly. Oh, my gosh, and she had to know what brand of cigarettes he smoked. I don't buy that at all. You know. I agree. Uh, you know that. Yeah. Absolutely. I 100% you agree. You don't. You see him carrying them. You see For him sure. getting You've, them out. It's 1971. Bought You've bought them. Yes. You do the grocery shopping. Absolutely. Let's be real She's here. She's bought them. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So shortly after um, the murder, though, they went to, they moved to Thailand. Of course. But Michelle didn't go. What? Yeah. They end up divorced. She knew he murdered her. Right. And he fled to Thailand because he murdered her. Yeah. He had to get out of here. (sighs) Oh, my goodness. Six months later, in March of 1972, she did go to um, Thailand to be with William and learned that he had become a monk, but um, but that he had been disrobed, which stripped him of that monk status. And so... um, essentially she's like she lasted about a year and a half with him there before she was like peace out i'm Took going long back. enough to decide yep. that this guy was a piece of shit um in 1974 he came back and he returned to the zen center in san francisco where what he met a girl he named sarah where he had um where, who had just arrived around the same time so they were living together um yeah sarah described william as a guru and an influential speaker, he had power over people, mental hypnosis almost. Sarah thought of herself as a lost hippie who was under his spell. She remembered William used cocaine occasionally and possibly intravenous drugs, but said that he really didn't have any money for hard drugs. What? She remembered he drank heavily and took antipsychotic prescription medication called Thorazine that is often used to treat schizophrenia. Oh, thorazine, I've heard of that. Yeah. But also, isn't cocaine a hard drug? Yes! I guess... <laughs> Yes, it is. I don't, I don't know much about drugs, but I would think that cocaine and intravenous drugs, <sighs> any of those, drugs. are going to be hard Those are hard drugs. drugs, honey. What hard drugs were she referring to? What else is there? I don't know. LSD at the time? I wouldn't even think they would consider that a hard drug no. at the time. No. Intravenous drugs and cocaine, those are hard drugs, sweetie. They are. Okay. Uh, and also, how are you at the Zen Center? That's, that's <laughs> just it to me. Like, y'all... <laughs> Zen. He sounds like a cult leader, and to be honest. Exactly. That's not. I I think that they misunderstood what Buddhism and Zen yeah mean. Yep, completely missed it. Uh, so she did. Uh, yeah, 
I think now she's kind of backtracking. She's mm. like, mm, I was very insecure back then. Yeah. I didn't Lost really hippie. know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they were married for four years from 1974 to 1978. And she did say that there were times during their rocky marriage where he was violent. So he did have like that, that history. He kind of escalated throughout his life, by the way. Like he had, um, there were reports of him as- threatening people with like an AR-15 assault rifle. Oh my um, yeah. That's serious. So it's, I don't know. You might be jumping ahead a little, but is, was he ever tied to any of the other attacks in Burlington? No. Hmm. Nope. Those are just random, n- unrelated crimes. Yes. That's crazy. Yep. It's a crime wave. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just so he kind of fell off the radar for a while. His parents, remember his stepmom was from Japan? Yes. They got a divorce after 30 years. Wow. And he just kind of like really just fell off the radar. Everybody's radar. Truly. He wasn't on, you know, the police's radar. Like he was on their list of people that they had interviewed. Was he still in Thailand? And whatnot. Oh, no, 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 he, he came, came back. back. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah. He came well, back with Sarah Your retention. You are, know, you've said it at the I beginning. Did. I it's warned fine. everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, we don't really know what what happens to him, but. In 1986, so he, this is after his parents' divorce and all of that stuff, he's discovered in a hotel room dead from a morphine overdose. He was 46 years old. The hard drugs, the intravenous morphine. He was 46 years old. His body was cremated, and he died 37 years before Rita's crime would be solved. That's terrible. And it's hard to believe this is a one-time thing for this guy. I know. It's I want. So it makes me wonder about his time in Japan because he was there for about two years total. Could yeah. he have committed crimes there? It's just weird to think that this would have been a single isolated incident, One-off, like especially when he did have a history prior to of violent sure. crime, and then you know his marriage. What we know of from his marriage afterwards, there were. Assault times, yeah. He had gotten disrobed from being a monk. Yeah, he did eventually get kicked out of the Zen Center as well. I mean, yeah. At this point, he became an addict, so I think he just kind of spiraled, you know, all over the place. Yeah, I mean, he's probably as an addict, a lot less organized, can't quite cover his tracks. Maybe no, no. um, It's hard to believe it was a one one time thing. Yep. So. It's terrible. Isn't that crazy? Fifty years. I know her poor parents. Went to their graves without ever. Yes, I would. I would just, like to think they got answers. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, immediately. Immediately, they knew, uh, when they were rejoined with her, yes. as a matter and of her, fact, were her siblings still alive mm-hmm. when they solved the case? Yes. Good. Yep. Yep. But they never got to see justice for her. No, because no. I mean, my gosh, he was long gone. What did I say? Nineteen eighty-six. It's like holy shit. Yeah. You know, he's the perpetrator's been gone for so long, and uh, it uh, just. Oh, it's terrible. I'm ex- I'm excited. I think we're going to have a lot more cases that are solved by DNA as the cold so case units get to come, you know, process all this stuff and Especially whatnot. With, but with things like the, um, the Innocence I, in, Project or yes. any of the other things about solving cold cases, they're uh-huh. going to have more funding to do these tests. It takes time, mm-hmm. of course. They're not going to rush them to the front of the line, but they have, yep. they have more resources hours. now and more people willing to donate to the cause yeah. to solve these cases. And I can't even... 
I wonder what the stats are and how many unsolved cold cases there are. I bet it's out of control. I mean, for the whole country. Yes, it's got to be so out of control. And when you think about like, why is it so expensive? Guys, people aren't going to do that work for free. You got to pay their wages and their benefit. Like they uh, truly like as good as we would like to be like, I could donate my time. That takes an education. Yeah, you can't just you run have in there and know, do it. Right. You can't it's, just be it's like, oh, I volunteer. Right. You no. can't just pop it no. like you see it on the movies. You can't just take a slide, pop it into a computer. And, then answer. and it brings up the picture, also, the profile, everything oh, about the there person. He is. There he is. Right. He's right here right now on the map. No, it, no. exactly. But you it also takes need to education. be careful because there's mm-hmm. only so much that you can do with a small sample. So yes. if you do something and you don't get the right result, you might not have another opportunity. Exactly. So you can't just go in there willy-nilly testing everything. I wouldn't want that pressure. No. That would be terrifying. I would be shaking the whole time I'm holding somebody's DNA of like, this is the last strand. If we don't, if I process this wrong. even Mm -hmm. thinking about it. I couldn't. No, no, no. Nope. It's not for me. So blessings to anybody who does that as their profession. Absolutely. Because I know that is not an easy job, but and I do wonder, I think it's going to keep coming forward that we find people that karma found them a lot yeah. faster than the police did through DNA testing. I kind of right? hate that he died on morphine, though. Me too. It's sad. You know. It's sad how he ended up going out as an addict when he didn't have that history before at no, all. But he didn't have to pay for the crime. But he didn't. I mean, Possibly, though, I what led to his addiction was the, the secret that the he's secrets. holding on to. But could you imagine just so random? It's terrifying. Just such a random act of heinous. No, and of course they couldn't find a motive. Violence. No, There's right. No motive. No, but it, she was Proximity. literally wrong place, wrong yeah. time. Ro- sleeping in her own bed in the wrong place. And you would think that Ugh. staying home and being in bed is safer than going out to the bar. Well, with that's your friends. what she thought. Yeah, truly, that that's is what, what she thought. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I don't want to be driving with them. They're drinking. I don't yes. want to go out. There's randoms, you know. But yes, staying home, I'm safe. I'm going to just go to sleep yep. in my. House Being coat. a good girl. In my, right. My <laughs> house coat. Stop. I know. Well, and she had just moved out of her parents' safe she, home. Her first freedom. Three ever. weeks in. Like, no. That is, it's unimaginable. Everything. Let's pause for just a moment to talk about a new opportunity. Is it just me? Or has this fall been particularly busy and stressful? There have been so many changes in my personal and professional life that some days it just feels like too much. I've started to feel scattered in my thoughts and in my actions, and I've noticed that my anxiety has been on the rise, which is unusual for me because I'm not usually an anxious person. So I was pleasantly surprised to receive an email from a company called Magic Mind. They were inquiring about a sponsorship on an opportunity for the podcast, and I thought, why not give it a shot? And a shot is exactly what I ended up receiving. Magic Mind sent me the most delicious little green shots of Nugenics to take with a morning smoothie, with my coffee routine, or even on its own. I was really surprised to feel the powerful little punch that these green little energy shots delivered. Within the first couple of uses, I found myself with less jitters that coffee typically gives me. And I did notice a big improvement on my mental clarity and concentration. Magic Mind has reduced my coffee intake. Just this week, I found myself in too much of a hurry to even make coffee, so I grabbed my little green sidekick and off to work I went. I was energized and clear-minded all day. I was willing to try Magic Mind because of the all-natural ingredients. I really had nothing to lose. The flavor is delicious. I was surprised to see some of my favorite ingredients like ashwagandha for reducing stress and anxiety 
and lion's mane mushroom, which is the fluffiest and the cutest of the mushrooms, by the way, for reducing anxiety, inflammation, and it's a stimulant for neuroregeneration, which would explain why my workouts have been feeling less painful as well. I think my listeners know by now that I would not recommend a product that I've not tried myself and enjoyed. As a matter of fact, I have turned down sponsorships in the past for this very reason. I shared Magic Mind with my oldest son in college, and he asked me when I would be ordering more because not only does he enjoy it, but he's also got his roommate hooked as well. The Magic Mind team has created a special offer to share with Crime Curious listeners. You get up to 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase when you go to www dot magicmind.com forward slash crime curious and enter code crime curious 20 at checkout that's www.magicmind.com forward slash crime curious and enter code crime curious 20 at checkout i've also included a link in the show notes give magic mind a try and be on the way to energetic mental clarity did you have a brain bath? Because I yes. believe when we so made these plans, you said I that you were going to I have a little bit me. of something, and it's the text fail type things. I have one that happened to me. Okay. And one that happened to my mother-in-law. Okay. So Who you're very you close with. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you want the cringy one or the sweet one? I want them all, both. Okay. So the cringe one. Okay. My mother-in-law did not care for her dad's girlfriend. Okay. Okay. He's in his 80s. Okay. Papa's girlfriend. We don't like her. All right. And this was several years ago, so he would have been late 70s probably at this time. Okay. They were all at the Moose Lodge. Oh, yeah, the Moose. If you know, you know, guys. Okay. They're sitting at the bar. And, oh, my God, I hope she listens to this. (laughs) Um, She texted her husband, she thought. Oh. Blank, the lady, Mm -hmm. is such a bitch. Oh, God. She sent it to her. No. Yes. She sent, she it, sent it to, to the lady. Oh, because her <laughs> her name was in her mind, so she clicked uh-huh. on it in her contacts. Yes, I've done that, <gasps> but nothing that bad. But she said she's such a bitch. Oh my god! How do you recover? And they're sitting right by each no! other. No. <laughs> they're sitting right there. She looks at her phone and she looks at my mother-in-law and it's like real nice, and she's like, "Well, you are." Oh, I mean. She you gotta own it. You she have to own it. it. What else are you gonna part? do? She right. used her name for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's, there's no, no recovery. But she, it wasn't a secret. Okay, that they didn't like each okay, other. That's good at least. So it wasn't like a surprise to her. But still, she completely sent that message to the wrong person, and they're in the same room, and there's no Looking time to think other. or recover or anything. And no. she used her name, her name for her crying name. out loud. So I've always enjoyed that and kept that close to my heart because it's I'm hilarious. so glad that you shared that. Because honestly, you know what I would have said? In my defense, I didn't mean to send that to you. <laughs> She owned it. She's like, you are. You are? And also, I thought I was sending that to my husband. Yes, I think she ended up saying, you know, I didn't mean to send that to you, but you are. Right. You're being one right this second. Right, right now. (laughs) Lessons for all. Lessons for all of us. The the sweet one is, and I don't know if my husband will ever listen to this. Oh, the husbands don't, and that's fun. So he probably won't. But a long time ago on my 22nd birthday. So Ooh, 14 was, years ago. Yeah, it was just a couple years okay. ago. Honey, we're, we're not that, that old. Ago. Right, right, right. So he um, was apparently planning a surprise for me. Okay. I was How sweet. no clue whatsoever. Uh-huh. He texted me at work and said, I just saw the limo. It's awesome. 
And I said, what limo? First time seeing a limo? <laughs> <laughs> and oh. it was like, the limo. So I'm like, hello? <laughs> like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh. And he made up this whole elaborate story, okay, about there was the limo broke down on the side of the road, and he stopped to help the guy, and he let him look at the limo and got oh, inside like it. Like, in the it. whole thing. Oh, like, yeah. He, he started. Right. He knew the dude's name. I mean, he the whole thing. <laughs> Roger, the broken yeah. down limo driver. I, I guess yeah. I was just too excited, and I didn't text all of that. Oh, so I pretended like I didn't know. Oh, bless and so you. He, to this day, till right now, till right now, <laughs> still thinks that I thought it was a surprise. Like, bless but he showed up to work in a stretch limo and picked me up from work that day and Aww. took me to all my favorite places and and you're just watching the clock roll down going like, pretty soon my limo <laughs> my limo's about to are be here are you bitches watching <laughs> look out the window that's my man <laughs> that's for me here comes my There's limo a big huge like white cadillac one like Aww. the big stretch oh my gosh it was amazing How and fun. like i was still surprised because i didn't know Exactly what color the limo what was. color it was. Right. I didn't know how long it was going to be. Right. I didn't know what color the interior lights were, what drinks were available. Right. I, that was so surprised. There was so much left unknown. It was the best, though. And, and then that weekend, he threw me a surprise party, too. I did not know about that at oh, all. Oh, okay. So that so wasn't a true surprise. surprise. There. Yeah. But he still had, has no idea. That was a long time ago. A couple of years ago. Right. But th- those uh, were my personal experiences, kind of, with the text fail things. And it's just, that one is so sweet. And if he found out now, it's not like, what's the difference right, going right, to make? Right, right, But no. he still thinks that I b- bought his story. Right. Like, that he was, he still thinks he's that good of a liar. Yeah. Which is, you know, <laughs> he should know better than that. But <laughs> he can't lie to me. Right, right. It oh, kind of proves that I'm a good I, liar, though. I love you know, that. Like, right. Who's buying that story? You're just, actually the more mischievous he, one yeah, in a marriage. Yeah. That's what I'm taking from to, this. He needed me to believe him mm-hmm. because he did not, he couldn't have lived with ruining it. But if he if he knew that I ruined it, he might not have done it. Right. So right. I wanted you the wanted goddamn the limo. limo. Of course. <laughs> that limo better be picking me up from work on my birthday. The, yes. Sir. Yes. So I don't care if I'm gonna buy any, any of this story yep. that you are selling yep. me because that's right. Because I want to ride in the damn limo. Yes. yes. That sounds like an awesome so time. It works out. I definitely have some text fails, but I can't remember the specifics enough of them to make them funny. But I were just distinctly remember my face getting bright so red, red so, so red. hot so red and me being like tingly fuck. skin yes Just, like uh, oh no what? what have i done how do i fix this i didn't i don't believe i insulted anyone just That's definitely good. Um, wasn't meant for that. Person. No, just yeah. not was meant. And then was like, Oh, I don't know that you know that side of me. Okay. So, so sorry about that. Yeah. By the way, sometimes I have a dark sense of humor. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> talk to you later. <laughs> don't hold this against me. Say yeah, bye. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please still be able to look me in the eye. Yeah. I think I have had a couple where I'm like, oof. Oh man. Sorry about that. Right. Right. But not, you know, not for you, especially like sometimes I have to really pay attention to my phone like I can't just just like the girlfriend thing with my mother-in-law she Mm -hmm. she was thinking about her so she texts her and that's exactly what happened had to be yes had to be yes so I bet that's happened to a lot of people but have you do you think it's happened when they're in the same room oh god that's probably a lot more rare but like yeah there's like no intimately way you can't con- intimate conversation and you're like texting oh my gosh I yeah. can't yeah and you can't just like Mm-mm. pretend yeah. like you didn't mean it no or especially whatever. not when you use their name no that's but even yeah, worse use the name mm-hmm. it's great just the, what I'm taking <laughs> from this is always text and code 
just have certain codes for your groups of people that you're uh, there are times where I have accidentally sent something because I have group texts that don't involve my parents but still involve my siblings (laughs) we have made those mistakes Mm -hmm. before as a matter of fact my (laughs) brother-in-law bless him (laughs) has made the mistake of putting something very vulgar intended only for my sister and their extracurricular a- oh, no. activities Sir, in the family the family group text with your parents with my not oh. only my parents but also my brother oh, who good. is not one to want to talk about his <laughs> sister's sex lives I mean, okay right and so but my brother-in-law has oh, such a good sense of humor that he just rolled with it while my uh brother was the most traumatized. Right. My parents are very, they joke all the time yeah. about their wonderful sure. sex life. They have been married for nearly I 50 can't. years and they're amazing. I, my parents weren't shy about it either. Mm-mm. My no. mom still isn't. No, I was going to say, your mom still posts stuff like that on yeah, Facebook as a matter sure of fact. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful love stories. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my brother was was held hostage at that point yeah. in that group chat where yeah. we all ran with it as Gotta a matter listen. of fact. But... Yes. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Jenny, thank you for joining us thank today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for uh, Jason Rue. I hope you like him. Yes, he's beautiful. And um, I, I hope to have you back sometime. Me too. For sure. I'd love to. You did wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> all right, y'all. We hope that you keep it curious. Keep listening. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.